Hello, my name is Tyler Strand. I'm a special makeup and effects artist, as well as an occult adventurer and paranormal investigator. So I not only hunt monsters, I make monsters. And you're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, goblins, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Goblin Universe. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I am the other host, Sir Brian Bowden. Ron, how are you doing this night? It is a little chilly. It, it is chilly, but we have a very beautiful moon out with just enough cloud cover to give it a very eerie appearance outside. A little bit of snow still on the ground, yes. but you know we're, we we are holding up. How are you doing up there in the uh, in the New York area? Because you're not only getting buffeted with uh, snow, but you have high winds up there, don't you? We have extremely high winds. I could have sworn I saw the Wicked Witch of the East and West. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, I mean, it's a ton of ice. We have a lot of trees down. And it's 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 got that eerie feeling to it. I'm thinking a little bit of the the uh, American Werewolf in London feel when they're at the uh, the moors. That's what it kind of know, feels like. So, what's a perfect night for for our our lovely interview? <laughs> it is. Uh, this was a night that my mother would say would be the perfect night for a murder. That's that's the kind <laughs> of uh, that's the kind of mentality that she had. And uh, well, you know, but but as you said, this is the perfect night to have our uh, guest on now. I have been a friend of uh, Mr. Strand's. We're going to have Tyler Strand on here in just a second. I've been a fan of his now for about a year. I actually ran into him uh, by chance at uh, the Kecksburg UFO Conference uh, in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, just a year ago. I guess it was in July. Um, and I've been fascinated by this human being for the past, you know, eight months, what have you. I've been living my life vicariously through him. <laughs> the best way to describe him is a paranormal Indiana Jones. Yes. This this guy is one of those guys that will go out into the woods at a moment's notice and investigate the strangest, most bizarre things without taking anybody with him. You know, he's out there by himself in the rough, and I think I'm not doing him justice. He'll do himself justice. Yes. Let me introduce you to Mr. Tyler Strand. Tyler, how are you doing, my friend? Welcome. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. Oh, man. I've been excited to have you on since I first met you uh, back at Kecksburg. So let me ask you, what took you to... Is, was that the first time you ever went to the Kecksburg Festival? That was, in fact, the first time I went to the Kecksburg Festival. And being someone with a very strange life, the way I wound up there was actually, on my end, a very strange synchronicity. I should have never been there. Right. I didn't know about that festival until a few days or a day before it even happened. Right. And uh, it was just one of those random occurrences where out of the blue, someone messages me and uh, there's a girl, a girl that lived above my apartment complex. She sends me a picture of a pamphlet with uh, the Kecksburg UFO Festival info. And she's like, I went to my parents' place and they just happened to have this pamphlet for no reason. And I thought about you. So I figured I'd send it your way. And <laughs> I'm like... Huh, interesting. So I just hopped in my I'm car in. like I always do, and I made the trek to witness the Kecksburg UFO Festival. That is That's synchronicity right, right there. It, it is. Now, let me set the scene, because we have Tyler, and for you guys, we'll put up some pictures and everything. Um, he has uh, movie star good looks to him. He, he, he reminds me a lot of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of of Jake Gyllenhaal, but I will tell you this. Whenever I saw, <laughs> whenever I saw you, you were a bit hobbled. You were, you were on crutches. And I was. 
Yeah, so you you were worse for wear, uh, but you passed the table when I said, you know, I, I felt some sort of gravity from you. So I, whatever was meant to be was meant to be. You know, the forces aligned inside the Goblin universe, and we kind of had our both of our shoulders tapped that day for a reason, I believe. <laughs> I, I believe so. It's funny you say that. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little worse for wear then. I, um, I had been acting in a short film through my school, and while I was on set on uh, one of the final shooting days, something strange happened to me where um, it's all on camera. We were shooting a scene. I was in an abandoned warehouse uh, getting supplies out of a locker. I'd closed the locker with one leg while I had a bundle of supplies in my arms for this scene. And as I turned around, I lost my balance just slightly. And for some reason, I couldn't catch it all the way. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it felt like a cage went over my foot. And then I was slammed down to the ground. And uh, I had broken my ankle completely on both sides and was casted up for about four months <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. And whenever I saw you again, which was at the Mothman Festival, uh, you I almost didn't recognize you because you were actually uh, walking bipedally. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, it, that, that entire trip alone was also a very strange event. Um, there were some synchronicities that occurred while I was in Point Pleasant with you that actually threw me onto a very big case, but it all stemmed from things that I had done and accomplished during that stay in Point Pleasant. So all of this is very intertwined, as it tends to be. That's right. So so let's let's rewind the tape recorder of Tyler Strand's life, and we'll go back. So you were born and bred in um, Michigan, is that correct? I was, yes. I'm from a very small town called Ironwood, Michigan. It's located at the very western tip of the upper peninsula that borders wisconsin oh right right so as a child were you interested in the paranormal i mean was was this something that was a part of your family's life how did you get started um yeah you know it's interesting i was always i was always fascinated by the unknown um i'm one of those kids i, I was always an odd kid i i spent most of my time alone i've spent the majority of my life alone just kind of off in my own world um but yeah from a very young age i'd always been fascinated by this stuff um, I didn't, I'm not one of those people who necessarily needed to have a strange event happen to them when they were younger to get me into this. So I was always fascinated by mysteries. Um, but yeah, I, I lived, uh, I lived my life just looking into it, you know, sort of since a very young age, uh, very heavily, kicking up very heavily when I reached about 13, 15 years old, when I started dabbling a little bit into occult teachings, which, uh, stemmed from alchemy, and that's something that a lot of people find surprising, that pe people in particular that are in the field, because it seems nowadays the majority of people that are into this first got into the rabbit hole through ghost phenomena. That seems to be the hot topic. But I was kind of unconventional in the sense that I became fascinated with occult teachings like alchemical teachings, looking into the Philosopher's Stone and this, this strange esoteric science that uh, would render someone immortal and open up these gateways to enter these other realms. Uh, that's, that's kind of what opened the rabbit hole for me because when you're in this long enough and you're looking into this phenomena long enough, you start to realize all of it is interconnected. And that happened even through occult teachings where when you start reading about this medieval science, how it's intertwined with ancient cultures, and then you end up finding out those ancient cultures learned it from these 
quote-unquote superior beings that came from across the sea in ships that never touched the water, quote-unquote. And you start to develop these strange theories that start to echo similar things you hear around in the paranormal community. And it, it doesn't matter where you start. It's like measuring a circle, as my friend Madeline likes, likes to speak of, uh, where it doesn't matter where you start, it will come full circle, and you'll see that it's all intertwined in one way or another. Very nice. So you mentioned the idea of history and this, this lineage, and that's the way I look at the paranormal as well. Uh, nothing is created in a vacuum, and whenever you talk about uh, the, the alchemical practices, that's really kind of what opened my eyes as well. Um, probably about five hmm. or seven years ago, uh, whenever I was looking at some of the writings of Paracelsus, you know, who, whose who's foundational teachings on mineralogy and, and this idea that minerals can be good for the human body is still used to this oh, yeah. very day. But he had no problem in talking about things like fairies and the idea that there is other intelligences, what he would call elementals, constantly interacting with the world around us. That nature is a much more varied and layered organism than we can even possibly comprehend and it was that kind of thinking by a very learned man in a, in a scientific uh, mind that it really kind of opened my eyes that you know until we take that blindfold away from ourselves you know to use this cave allegory from plato until we take this blindfold off of our eyes the only thing that we're going to be able to see is these shadows and when we finally take off the blindfold then we can see the world for what it really is Absolutely. The allegory, the, the allegory of the cave is actually one of my faves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, what so, I, I absolutely agree with that. I appreciate because you started this with alchemy and going back that far, you are light years ahead of about 90% of the people in this field. Um, <laughs> no, and, 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 I, and I don't mean... Well, thank you so much. No, there, there's an importance there. And we had, you know, before on the pre-interview, we were discussing some things. In order to, to be able to get that bird's eye view and take in the bigger picture and how this all plays together, you have to start studying the right thing. And if, if something like alchemy triggers you and then you get into the ancients and the elementals and then that is the foundation of, of a lot of the Goblin universe, as we call it. And too many people just discredit that. They just focus on one thing and one thing only, but they don't realize that, that everything is connected. Right, right. There's a lot of our listeners that would have no problem in grabbing a baseball bat and running out <laughs> in the woods and start pounding on trees, whooping and hollering. But whenever you <laughs> mention the possibilities of fairy activity, they look at you like you're a nut job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, and that, that's what's so comical about all this. And that's why I was very fortunate to, uh, it, it's funny, looking back in time, it always used to feel like a curse where I grew up. But I realized if I never grew up in an isolated environment, I would have never developed in the way that I developed because I started with just a curious mind and I had nothing at my disposal. I watched very little TV. The books that I read on strange subjects were always very, they were older books, books at least from the 80s if not beyond so it was older info that wasn't tainted by this hollywood garbage and again uh and, and it's funny looking back i developed a lot of the wild theories that i had without realizing other people had them and that's <laughs> if there's one thing i can say i'm proud of it's that i remember when i was studying alchemy and i started getting these wild ideas about where it stemmed from and who these 
people were that passed it on to say quote unquote humans like i i, I thought i was the only person it's funny in my ignorance of, of just being isolated i thought i was the only person that made the connection this was long before there were any television shows discussing similar theories or anything i'm like oh my god this is something big you know and i just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper into these ancient teachings these occult teachings and these civilizations but and that's what led me full circle where it was a combination of following a rabbit hole and also reading the right material and starting off with the right material like authors like john keel who uh who seemed to have a bird's eye view on a lot of this phenomena you know he he was a big influence early on um with reading the mothman prophecies and and the things that involve that and i implore your listeners if anybody wants to find some very far out there literature uh very in-depth investigation literature read some akil stuff because you'll find that when you watch things like television if it's on the mothman that's all you'll hear about is oh if you ask someone i always use this question as a gauge to see like how much somebody really knows and i'll be like what what happened in point pleasant and a lot of times the only response to give oh well that was mothman mothman was there and that's all they know but when you know about the actual case of what was going on in point pleasant all mothman was for the most part was almost like uh an older style of just a clickbait title where the Mothman was very <laughs> minuscule in the amount of activity that was occurring in Point Pleasant around that time. I mean, it was intertwined with UFO phenomena, strange poltergeist phenomena. Then you have these men in black encounters. Like, the Mothman was just a symptom of all the rest of the phenomena that seemed to be occurring. So... I think that case alone is a good analogy for everything that we're talking about with how people perceive this in the modern age and how little they really know because they've never done the research. Right. And also, a lot of people think that the Mothman prophecies by Kiel was exactly the same thing as the Richard Gere movie. And, I, and trust me, <laughs> oh, no. it's nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that whatsoever. Right. No, not at all. Not at all. And so, so you, there you are in this smaller area you know, of Michigan. When did you go and start investigating and did you bring any friends along? When did the curiosity move from curiosity and learning to I'm going to explore this, I'm going to investigate? Well, you see, this is my curse. This is my curse I've lived with my whole life is growing up in such a small town and being a weird kid. I never was very open about talking about weird stuff with people. I was open where I, I had no shame in, in being interested or having people see that I was interested in it, but I, I never very actively spoke with it. Right. Spoke about it with anyone. So from a very young age, like we're talking <laughs> probably as young as I could read, I was reading about weird stuff, reading about cryptids, reading about UFOs. I was always fascinated by weird stuff. But then when I broke into the alchemical scene around 13, 15, that's when I started to more heavily investigate places, being immersive in places, exploring places. And I can't say it was very strictly guided. I mean, in those early years, it was mostly, you know, just going to abandoned places and just checking out weird areas, not, not really um, going so far as to say you were investigating. But I think there's something important still in being immersive in these areas. And that's why when we opened this conversation, I said I am an occult adventurer and a paranormal investigator because right. most of the time I like to say that I'm an adventurer because for me, one of the issues in this field is that you have a lot of people running around saying they're paranormal investigators. Everyone and their uncle is a paranormal investigator. 
And then you end up finding out the only thing they've ever done with their time is take a tour bus through the TNT zone, and now they're a paranormal investigator. Exactly. Or they yelled at a ghost to turn a flashlight on and off, and now they're a paranormal investigator. You know, I don't consider those activities investigation. Unless, unless like you gentlemen, like writing books, things like that, and, and doing your due diligence to heavily research a certain topic or location for months, trying to get everything you can, that is what makes you an investigator. That's what makes you a researcher. Everything else, you're an adventurer, and that's fine. You can, you can hunt down experiences, and I think there's importance in that. And that's why I like to say I'm an occult adventurer, because for the most part with my time, I'm throwing myself in these locations to get a feel of them, to get a better understanding of them. You know, because like any detective, I think the longer you're in a location, the more you're immersive in these locations, there's something about it that's going to break loose, and you're going to pick up on subconscious patterns that I think a lot of people won't pick up on. So for the most part, I'm an adventurer. And if something big comes up, like some of these cases I'm involved with now, then that is what makes me a paranormal investigator because I'm invested emotionally and I'm spending months and going through massive amounts of material just to try and find a breadcrumb that pertains to that particular case. And, and what I find interesting, though, is you do this solo. I don't, and I, I tell everybody, you know, as an, a researcher and an investigator of the subject matter, it's, it's wise not to go solo for multiple reasons, especially if you're, <laughs> and, and I'm, true. I'm, I'm, you know, it's not just the parent in me. It's just, it's in general. And I've done this my, my entire life for the most part of being solo. I mean, I have an older and younger brother, but I always did my own thing. But the reason is safety and security. You can get yourself into a really hairy situation and then you have nobody to rely on. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. so just be very and, uh, cautious. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's why, like, I'm, I'm smart about it, too. If anyone asks me, like, I, I've been on a live feed, actually, with Greg and Dana Newkirk not too long ago, where we actually revisited Point Pleasant. Uh, that was my second time there. And uh, I made the point to tell their viewers, like, hey, if you guys come out here, like, check it out for yourself. Don't take a tour, but be smart and come with someone. Like, it's definitely... Definitely, it definitely gets hairy at times, and it's <laughs> the fear factor significantly increases. So it's it's by no means easy to do it alone. Um, but I've grown a lot as a person doing it, and it's such a bizarre feeling being in these areas alone. It, it's it's nerve wracking at times, but the thrill and the adrenaline that it gives you, like I've learned a lot about myself doing this solo. Right. Uh, you know, exploring the abandoned TNT area alone, walking through these cement domes at nighttime in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the woods, going to a, a place in Pennsylvania called Dead Man's Hollow in the dead of night and tromping through cemeteries looking for church grims. Like, I've found that just within the past year, the amount of fear I'm able to suppress and keep a level head in has significantly increased. And it's and that's another aspect of the paranormal that I wish people would focus more on. And one of my big messages I'd like your viewers to really think about is we live in this time where everybody is so lost in the tech that goes along with these investigations. Like looking at a meter, looking at this meter, looking at your audio recorder. But at the end of the day, I implore your listeners to take the time to just have an experience and be immersive 
like I myself have grown a ton because I've been in these places and particularly been in them alone. And um, the amount of things I'm able to handle now and the courage I'm able to muster up out of nowhere has even surprised myself. I've grown a lot as a person within the past year. And, and uh, I wish that more investigators were able to, to at least in some way, and safely, of course, explore themselves in the phenomena. I was I was going to say that when you mentioned about the equipment, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, everybody's looking at some kind of meter. And they, they know it does something, but because they said on TV that it's done it, but, or in someone's book. Um, <laughs> but the, back, the fact of the matter is, what I, what I, I, I'm very envious of, of the fact you do this alone, because you use the ultimate equipment, and your body is a meter and we have abilities and senses within our bodies that we've lost touch with that are better than all the equipment you can have out there i mean of course photographic or video evidence of a, of a sasquatch or or whatever would be you know kick ass uh, don't get me wrong here oh absolutely but you, the fact that you have you've been able to tune your temple into a, a certain and i will use vibration where yes there's there's a cautiousness but you're also in tune with certain things so when you hear a noise or there's nobody else there there should be nobody else there and you're going to get the get the full effect of it. The only thing I suggest, and I don't know if you do this, I don't know if you're a religious person or not, but do you do anything to protect yourself prior to going into some of these places? Because there is the possibility that you could be taking something home with you. Oh, absolutely, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up because this goes hand in hand with everything that I do and the style that I do it. Um, I'm not a religious person, but funny enough, when you say that, I can't even say that I'm not a religious person. I don't... I don't really try to believe in any one thing. I'm open to the possibilities of everything. And going back to something that John Keel often would talk about, he was a man like myself who always pushed the idea of killing your beliefs because the, the closer you come to believing in something, the further you're going to get from the truth. Right. So when I say I can't say I'm not even necessarily a religious person, what I mean by that is this phenomenon is so vast and it's so complex that I feel the stigma of these different titles and these different belief systems. Again, like all phenomena, I think that a lot of times people are dealing with the same thing. And I think on one hand, something that someone may view as uh, biblical is someone else's paranormal and vice versa. Like, I think this folklore that we've generated as humans, it's, it's all intertwined and it all stems from the same thing. And that's why I, I look at it with one foot in and one foot out. At least I try to. It's really difficult to keep on that path, but that's where I'm at with things. I, I try to stay half in, half out, and I, I try the best I can to strip away the titles, strip away the stigmas, and just see the phenomena for what it is. And when it comes to protection, again, I think a lot of it comes down to our own mental state and our own consciousness. And I have a very strong will. I have a strong will within myself where I view myself as a strengthening force. And I don't necessarily need any third party, say, objects or tools to protect me because I feel I have the mental fortitude within my own being. And I, I kind of strip myself away in that regard of, of what we consider protection, where even if in the back of my mind, if something does get hairy down the road and it does seem like there's an attachment, well, I know at the end of the day, I at least have a strong friend group where we can tackle that situation after after the fact. If right. something 
if this if this mindset doesn't work, if I'm if I'm incorrect in believing that I have the strength within myself, I know that there's still people I can fall back on to help me through something. And I think that's important as well to have some people you can rely on and speak with about this stuff. Uh, even if it's even if it's a small group, because the group I'm working with on some of these cases, very small, tight knit group, and and I don't need anything more than that. So I guess that would be my response. Yeah. Now let me ask uh, as we go in your adventure because I'm really dying to hear about uh, <laughs> these adventures. Now, the one that you were, I guess, most recently on that had a lot of, uh, a lot of activity, uh, both um, natural and, and, and supernatural, uh, was the one in North Carolina. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Tyler? Oh, so the North Carolina trip was probably one of the craziest adventures I've ever been on. Um, unexpectedly, of course, <laughs> I, I, going into it, I did not expect that much activity to occur in one trip and a lot of it stemming from human hands more than anything which is the interesting part so first of all what took you down there stemming right? back stemming back from around the time I was in Point Pleasant okay. is where this begins actually which is uh, odd enough there were some things that I stumbled upon the first time I was in Point Pleasant when we were both walking the same grounds I ran into a man who had some interesting information I ran into him by chance again it's one of those strange synchronous and the information I retrieved from this man was relevant to an ongoing case, a case that had been dead for many, many years. So wanting the help, because my ears and eyes are always open to this, I wanted to help. I wanted to reopen this case because I felt it was important. I passed this info along. Well, in doing so, there was an even stranger synchronicity that was triggered in me gathering this info that I won't get into just yet. But out of nowhere, because of this information I had, I was allowed to be a part of this case that was ongoing. Kind of last minute out of the blue. And um, the complexities of this stem all over the U.S. in different areas. But one of the big leads that had to be followed up on happened to be in North Carolina. And uh, this case involves around some of the things Greg and Dana Newkirk have been involved with uh, for the past past 10 years or so. So it was my job to go to North Carolina to track down a secret location that had been given to my friend Greg. Um, we didn't know what to expect when I went there, but this location was already interesting with or without a secret spot to visit because it just happens to be located near Brown Mountain. And Brown Mountain is known in the paranormal community most infamously for the Brown Mountain Light. And the Brown Mountain Lights are these strange light form anomalies that people are witness to that pop out of this mountain range. You can go into different outlook areas and people have all kinds of strange reports stemming from cryptid encounters to UFO sightings and but most commonly people will see these lights that seem to fly in and out of the mountainside you know people have associated them with lantern ghosts and will of the wisps and UFOs in fact the brown mountain lights have been seen before English settlers or even in the area the Native American population had stories where they believed that the lights were the ghosts of warriors or the wives of warriors that had passed away that were lonely traveling the mountainside and it's associated with certain disappearing persons cases so right away the area itself 
already had an air of mystery and possible treachery about it going into it. <laughs> and um, while I was in this location, I actually spent my time sleeping on one of the outlooks that overlooked Brown Mountain, trying to see these lights. That's actually where I kind of set up my base, was on Brown Mountain, like on this cliff face. And uh, the first night I had slept on Brown Mountain, I'm looking down into this giant gorge, this giant valley, it's very reminiscent of the Grand Canyon. I see emanating from the cliff side something that looked like a pulse of lightning, the way that you would see a shockwave occur in a cloud, like with heat lightning. Yep. Yes. And this thing just pulsed right out of the mountain as I crept up on it. And of course, I'm there alone. I'm the only one there, which was interesting because it's still winter time, or at least was how many weeks back, a month back. It was very cold in that area. And even though some of these lookout areas can be popular, I seem to have been the only one there because the temperature was very cold. So I crept up on this site through the woods, through a trail that leads to one of these outlooks. And I purposely didn't turn on a flashlight creeping up one of the first times because I I figured if something was going on on the mountain that possibly is self-aware. I didn't want to just trigger it right away with my beams coming from my flashlight. So I crept up on the mountain and that's when I'd seen this pulse of light initially. And uh, it, it was strange. The lights themselves, at least for the, the first night, the lights were very dim. Um, it was like this pale gray silver light. Even the pulse was very dim. And you'd see these little blobs of light pop in and out every so often on the cliff side. But it was to the point where they were so faint, you almost questioned yourself what you were seeing because it was almost in tune with the color of the static you see within your eyes when you're trying to see in the dark. So it was very, very very difficult to see them at first. So that was the first night that was there. Second day arrives and I'm there to pull off this secret mission, so to speak. And I follow through with that mission and I find this secret location that I had to check up on. And while I'm in this spot, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, I start to hear this low grumble. It starts off at first like almost like a hum. And at first I got excited because like the brown mountain light, there's always been speculation that perhaps there's these cave bases underneath the ground where these things reside, these creatures reside. So at first my heart starts quicken where I'm like, is this resonating from the ground and I'm listening I'm like no but it's getting louder and then out of nowhere I look up <laughs> there's a black helicopter a black helicopter flies right over my head and that was this strange thing that signified to me that perhaps my presence in this area was known <laughs> and uh, f funny enough funny enough I have all of this on film. I had a GoPro attached to my chest, and I, I made sure to tilt it up, and I reviewed the footage. It, it is on film. So, uh, <laughs> not long after that, this is where this adventure gets really treacherous, when you're talking about being safe and not being alone. Right. I go to leave the location shortly after, and when I leave, the GPS I was using on my phone, I accidentally close out of. And the area I'm in is a total dead zone. So now I have nothing but a raw compass with me. And I ended up getting turned around and I ended up getting lost in the woods <laughs> for hours. I was stuck in the middle of nowhere. So I actually did become slightly frantic when that happened because with everything building up, there was a lot of info that was thrown my way 
right before leaving for this adventure that really kicked up, I guess, for lack of a better term, paranoia. Where there's certain elements of this case that I'm on that seem to have a sinister aspect to it. And it started to feel like this whole thing was just one big elaborate trick to keep me trapped inside this forest. And um, I, there was a moment in time where I did not think I was going to get out. But lucky enough, as I'm traversing my way through the middle of North Carolina in the middle of nowhere, I happened upon a ridge, exhausting. I climb up this giant cliff face to try and get a good overlook of the area to see if I could see anything from a high point. And lucky enough, I see a highway off in the distance. I see some cars driving. I'm like, okay, I have a direction to go towards. So I trek off through the forest, down this other cliff face, down the side of this mountain, to find the, the first sign of civilization, which was a hunting blind and a four-wheeler trail. <laughs> Followed the four-wheeler trail out, and I finally happened upon some houses. So <laughs> the sun is going down. I'm ecstatic that I'm alive. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I pulled the Survivor Man. I'm out. I can make my way back to my vehicle, wherever that is. So I go up to one of the houses in this, in this strange little neighborhood, this inset neighborhood in the woods. And uh, I knock on a door, and a woman no. answers it. And oh, uh, I tell so here I am. I look like uh, <laughs> I'm all geared up. I have this chest harness on. I have this backpack with a knife strapped to me. And I just look like a commando. And I'm like, I'm like hello. <laughs> I've been lost for a very long time. I go, and I'm just curious if this is the way out. <laughs> and she, she directs me to the road. She's like, oh, yeah, you just come down here, blah, blah, blah. Well... I ended up striking conversation with her and her husband who came to the door. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm here now. I, I kind of told them why I was in the woods. I was looking at strange things. And I started asking them some questions. I, I asked if they knew of any, any strange UFO events. I, I had heard of a military presence that's been speculated in the area. And I, I asked the gentleman, I go, do you know anything about that, about a military presence? And he goes, you know, when I was, when I was a young kid, he's like, what I heard is that when the military was here, they were actually drilling into the mountainside. And I'm like, no kidding, drilling into the mountainside. So this whole time I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, you have these things flying out of the mountain. You have these strange lights appearing, and now you have a military presence that seems to be involved with drilling into the mountainside. So I press further. I go, do you know what they were drilling into the mountainside for? Uh, do you know what, what any of that was about? And he goes, from what I heard, he goes, the U.S. military was installing missile launcher holders into the side of the mountain. So in case they ever needed to, they could drive up in the giant flatbed trucks that hold the missiles, and they'd be able to launch them from the cliff faces, and it would be able to withstand the force of the shockwave. <laughs> so wow. I was just blown away. So so now I'm getting this image in my head of like a D-Day scenario or some crazy shit going down or there's something coming out of the mountainside and the military has to come in and hurry up and launch a missile <laughs> something coming out of it. And that that just floored me. So that alone is also all on my GoPro camera. That was uh, a great piece of evidence for 
some of the things I went there for to follow up on, trying trying to keep it vague. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are your feelings about the light that you have seen? And these lights do occur around the world. There's the famous Marfa lights in Texas, and you know various other places. Did you feel that there was some sort of intelligence? It, within that light, what was your sense of this phenomena that you witnessed firsthand? Well, there absolutely was an intelligence behind it, and I'll tell you why. Because that was not the last night I had seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> so the most striking thing that happened on that trip occurred at nighttime after I made it out of the woods. So I end up trekking back to my vehicle, which, mind you, on a straight path from the highway, took me 40 minutes to get back to my car. Oh, my. So that was a 40-minute trip to the woods that was all winding and zigzagged up hills and trenches, and it was a 40-minute shot on foot in a straight line after I got out of the woods. So that, to give you an idea of how far I trekked through the middle of nowhere in this terrifying location that had terrifying things in it <laughs> so <laughs> i reach my vehicle and i'm like okay it's time to go back to base camp i'm gonna go back to brown mountain and i'm going to see if i can see the lights for one last night before i head out and follow up on the final lead the following morning so i drive up this super treacherous trail just to get to this lookout post um the drive in is just completely insane and i own <laughs> <laughs> the vehicle I drive is a convertible Mustang, so it's not oh. uh, it's not made for off. <laughs> you gotta get a Jeep. Made for off roading, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, so I go to this lookout area, and uh, you know I'm exhausted by this point in time. I'm I'm completely wiped out. I'm like I almost died <laughs> today in the woods. I uh, I think it's time to take a nap. So that night I actually fell asleep in my car uh, and while I was sleeping in my car, I woke up out of, out of the blue for no reason. And I, I probably woke up around three in the morning, around 3 a.m. And I look out the side of my door and right in the parking lot, we're not talking about off in the distance in a cliff face, in the tree line of the parking lot. There's these giant shining beams illuminating the trees. Oh. And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is that? And, and at first, my, my initial thought, my initial thought was that it was a person, that it was someone that had walked up this road without taking a vehicle for some reason, and they were just shining the trees like they were looking up. And I'm like, why, who's this person coming here? And I'm like, why would you walk here? And I'm like, it's super weird. There's no vehicles around. I'm the only person here. Why is there a person here? And the way these beams looked, there were two of them. One would turn on, this bright, brilliant light, and it would shine in a sweeping motion like someone looking up at a tree branch is illuminating super bright lights like LEDs, this blue, pale, cold light. And then it would have this high strobe where it would go and click out. Like, so fast, the strobing of the light was so fast that you almost couldn't detect it with your eyes. Like, it wasn't the strobe of a flashlight. It was the type of strobe that you would see on a fluorescent light bulb when they're kind of glitching out. Yep. How you can almost... You can, I'm sure you, you two have seen this, where a fluorescent light bulb will strobe really quickly, but it's almost like a trick of your eye. That's you right. Almost right. Just, 
That's right. It's That's almost, how these lights would strobe. These lights would strobe this way towards the end and blink out. Then another one would kick up next to it. Then both of them would turn on. And they're sweeping the trees, illuminating these trees up in the air. And while I'm looking at them, they end up shining my vehicle and they scan my car and my face. They scan upward and shine my car. Wow. And that's why I'm saying these lights were self-aware of me being there. And it wasn't until that happened. So it's shining my car. I'm seeing it illuminate little ice crystals on the ground, little pieces of broken glass. Shining up and down, shines my car, then it goes back to shining the trees. And then they blink out. And then when they blink out, there's this, there's this little weird orange ball of light that's just slowly maneuvering around, like kind of floating in place, but having a slight movement. Like, like and an then orb? that dies away. Kind of like an orb, yep, like a pale orange orb. Well, see, and uh, what's so fascinating about this story is that you have what some people would call a ghost encounter with the orb, a classic UFO encounter. I mean, there are so many things. It's really about perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But, but that's where I think people get lost in it, where um, I think when you strip away the title of it all, it's all the one thing. Like, I, with everything I know now, with this ongoing case, without saying anything about it, right? I more heavily fall on the lines of what someone, at least in layman's terms, would consider alien-type phenomena or extraterrestrial-type phenomena. But on an equal spectrum, I do think that that phenomena, particularly the Brown Mountain phenomena, is what someone would also consider ghosts or fey folk phenomena or fairy folk lights or these will-o'-the-wisps. Like, I do think that in this particular case, people's perceptions of this thing are one and the same. And oddly enough, after this encounter, I'm looking at where this light was and I'm like, it dawned on me where I'm like, that definitely, I'm like, that's not a person. That wasn't a person. These are the lights. Those are the brown mountain lights. So I'm like, I'm shocked. I'm like, this is damn crazy. Like, these appeared in the parking lot. Like, this in itself is almost atypical, or, you know, not typical of uh, normal people's encounters if they see anything. So, right away, talking about doing dangerous stuff, (laughs) I grab the knife that I carry with me when I'm on these adventures. I just, I carry a big-ass knife. That's about all all I have with me for the most part. It's still good. I grab my knife. And I close my car door and I go off on foot towards where these <laughs> lights were to check it out. And I'm walking across this parking lot, freezing out. You can see my breath. Ice crystals are starting to form on the ground. And not only do I have a knife in one hand, but the flashlight that I have as another precaution. It's a, it's a great flashlight for what I do and how I do things. It's actually a baseball bat combined with a flashlight. It's a bat light. Yep. <laughs> so the flashlight I'm holding is a, is a bat. <laughs> so I'm, I'm prepared in that sense to some degree. So I'm, I'm walking on foot towards where this light was just to see, make sure it's not a person. And sure shit, I walk up to the spot. And not only is there no one anywhere near the area, but where the light stemmed from was a cliff drop-off. Oh, (laughs) my God. (laughs) Yeah. So, I was pretty pretty wowed by that. Um, It was was pretty striking, but it went hand-in-hand 
with the entire trip where I felt like my presence in this particular location was known. There was something there that was very well aware of what I was doing there. Well, that's what it seemed like the whole time. It seemed like I was on in more ways than one and possibly on more, more than one person's end. I think I was on someone's radar. So I went back to my car. Yeah, oh, sorry. I, no, I was. I, I'm just. I'm just thinking of this. So you waking up at three o'clock in the morning. This is all taking place. So part of your brain's possibly not kicking in. You're kind of tired, um, and then you're witnessing it. Then you you perk up because your adrenaline starts kicking in. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna let you continue, but I mean, like, I'm wondering what the takeaway from this was after this was all over, like the next couple of days. But keep going because I think you know. Let, <laughs> let's, let's get. Let's keep going. We'll revisit. <laughs> well, the misadventures get worse. <laughs> so, the misadventures get worse. So, here's where things get, get even more bizarre. I go back to my car, and uh, again, I'm still so tired, though. I, like, even though I'm, I'm impressed at what just happened, I go back to my car, but I'm still kind of jaded to it, where I always try to keep a clear mind. I'm like, okay, that was interesting. It's noted. But I wasn't... I wasn't shook up at all. I, I'm kind of one of those guys where it takes a lot. It takes a lot for me to really get get really excited. So I right. go back to my car. I, I think I, I ate some food briefly. And then I'm like, okay, well, if this just happened in the parking lot, what's <laughs> going on at the cliff face, you know, like where you actually see the mountainside? So I, I hurried up and I, I walked down the trail to go and see if the lights were possibly manifesting at one of the cliff edges. And uh, oddly enough, there was nothing going on. There was nothing going on when I went to the cliff face. So I retired back to my car for the rest of the night. And I'm like, okay, it's time to get some shut-eye here for real and uh, continue on with uh, this mission, the final end of this mission that I had to pull off in, in the morning. So I go to sleep. Now keep in mind, <laughs> I drove into this area in my Mustang and... <laughs> The roads, even though treacherous and really dug out these, these treacherous dirt roads, they were navigable, which is fine. And, you know, the roads are clear. So I fall asleep. I fall asleep for the night. Then, <laughs> the following morning, I wake up to the sound of rain. Oh. And not only is it the sound of rain, the rain is fine. But the ground is so cold, I wake up not only to the sound of rain... But the sight of the entire ground turned to sleet and ice. <laughs> oh my god! So I'm in the middle of nowhere, alone in this parking lot on a, at a cliff edge on Brown Mountain, trapped because my car <laughs> can't even remotely maneuver in sleet and ice. <laughs> so I wake up and I'm looking around. And I'm like, well. Shit. <laughs> I'm like, this is bad. This is really bad. So I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm getting out of here. So I I try to make it down the road and the first incline I reach that has these huge dugouts from like mud trucks. My car just starts fishtailing. And I'm sliding backwards. I actually got stuck briefly completely sideways in the middle of one of these dirt roads. And I'm like, okay, there's, there's no way I'm getting out of here. Like, I'm completely stranded on Brown Mountain. So I ended up, I ended up being able to maneuver. <laughs> I ended up being able to maneuver out of the ditch. 
And I, I went partially back towards where the parking lot area was that I slept in. So I hunker down. I put my car in park. It's still raining. Roads are covered in sleet. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to call one of my friends. I don't know what to do here. So I went to call Greg, Greg Newkirk, actually. And right away, my phone hangs up. There's no cell phone reception where I'm at. Oh, it just keeps <laughs> like, getting better. Like, well, yeah, it keeps getting better. So, like, <laughs> like, oh, great. You know, but then I realized, I'm like, okay, 911 is probably my only option. And if I remembered correctly, 911 actually carries a different type of cell phone signal. It's stronger. Right. So I go to call them. I call 911 try and get out of here and my phone call because they had to keep roaming just to hit a signal every phone call i made the 911 took 15 to 20 minutes just to patch through wow so <laughs> i finally reached 911 and i tell them where i'm at and how i'm stranded and they're like okay we're gonna have to patch you through to this other county because you're right on the border and we think you're in this <laughs> county then they passed me through to another colony, which then I have to hang up, call again. And I had to keep doing this in cycles. I did this about 10 times. And the amount of lip I received from these 911 operators was <laughs> insane. You would not believe how these people handled this situation. There's a woman that picked up in one of these counties on 911. And I tell her, I'm like, hello, my name is Tyler Strand. I'm stranded here at this view. It's it's a popular tourist area. You follow the, the road that goes up this outlook. You'll find where I'm at. Right. I, I need my car is stuck here. It can't make it through the street, blah, blah, blah. I slept here overnight. And then I, I'm not lying to you when I say this. A 911 operator, this is what her response was. She goes, not to be a smart aleck or anything, but what do you want us to do about it? <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> There's this dead silence on the phone. I'm like, are you serious? I go, I just told you I'm stranded here. I need to get towed out. <laughs> like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do I want you to do about it? <laughs> Send a so pizza. Send she a patches pizza. me through. She patches me through to uh, patrol officers. I go, well, we got to patch you through the highway patrol. Highway patrol picks up. And the cop, right away, I can just tell by the tone of his voice, is a total dickhead. And he's like, oh, what are you doing out there? Like, oh, you, you, I tell him everything. Like, I slept out here. It rained overnight. It turned these roads in the sleet. I can't get out. He's like, oh, so what? You didn't check the weather before sleeping there? Now you're putting my men in danger, and now we have to worry about getting you out of there. I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so going back and forth, so... So I tell him where I'm at. Now, keep in mind, this is a local cop, and I know damn well the cops would be very familiar with this area I'm at. And he goes, well, we can't get you unless you give us your exact coordinate position. You're going to have to call 911 back, and they're going to have to use their technology to give us your coordinates so we can try and find a way to get to you. So I have to hang up again and go through this whole 20-minute spiel again and when I call 911, I tell them everything, and they're like, okay, we're working on trying to get someone to you. Call us back in 20 minutes. So I hang up, wait 20 minutes, call again, and that call itself takes 20 minutes to catch through. They pick up again, we're still working on trying to get someone to you. Call us back in another 20 minutes. I hang up, wait 20 minutes, call again, and it takes another 20 minutes. So these are 40-minute intervals. 
that it's taken me just to patch through to get off this mountain. <laughs> it took me six hours of calling 911 until a truck finally came to pull me out. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> so that's how... <laughs> So that's how the day started. So now I'm hours behind schedule. There's one, there's one more lead I need to follow up on before I get the hell out of the hell out of Dodge here. So I go back into this town I needed to be in, and there was one person I needed to question at their household. One person I needed to just, just get a verification from. I go up to this household. I state my business. I go through this whole spiel that involves this particular case and I leave I leave down their driveway and I go I go and park at this church parking lot and while I'm at this church parking lot I call my friends Greg and Dana Newkirk to let them know that I followed up on this lead and that the mission was done while I'm talking to them on the phone I get startled by a knock at my window I'm like oh what the hell I turn and it's a sheriff <laughs> it's a sheriff and I, I roll my window down and he's like what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> right away, right away, just to play it cool. I make it abundantly clear that I'm about to leave North Carolina. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm just about to head back to Pennsylvania. I was just here uh, on a geocaching hunt. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, just geocaching. And he's like, <laughs> this is his response. He goes, geocaching? What's that? Does that involve Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I go, geocaching is just, uh, you know, it's a little game people play where somebody gives you quarantine points, you gotta go on a little treasure hunt. I go, but no, it doesn't involve Bitcoin. It's just like, you know, you might find a little trinket box and you'll have to go to the next place. Like, oh, it's just like an online game, I said. He's like, all right, all right. You got got any ID on you? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I give him, I give him my ID the whole time. I hear Dana Newkirk on the other end of the phone. He's like, oh my God, like, what the hell is happening? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm tired. I'm under my breath. I'm like, stay on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, these guys are probably going to kill. Oh, I also made it clear too. I'm like, oh, I'm just talking to my friends on the phone. Like, I was like, that was the first thing I said. So he doesn't just like put a bullet in my brain. So he takes... So he takes my ID, he takes my ID, and he comes back to the car, and he goes, well, he goes, looks like everything checks out. I go, oh, well, that's good. I go, yeah, I'm like, I didn't mean to uh, stir up any trouble. I go, I'm curious. I go, was this a call-in? I go, did somebody call you in? He goes, yeah, we did. We got a call-in to check you out. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And he's like, he's like, we're a very tight-knit community. He goes, and we yep. take note when strange men appear out of nowhere walking the streets and asking questions he's like and i'm the guy they come to when strange things and strange men pop up in town i'm like hmm so so i play it off in a friendly manner i go oh i see you're the go-to guy huh <laughs> so he's like i am he's like he's like so what you're leaving north carolina now i go oh yeah i'm like i'm out of here i go <laughs> so, I back out, and here's what's odd about this whole thing. The vehicle this guy's pulled up in is an undercover police car. It's not even a normal cop car. He's wearing a sweater vest. This guy, it's funny. The way I describe him is he looks like an older, white-haired Alex Jones. <laughs> That's what this guy looks like. He looks like white-haired Alex Jones. So he goes back to his vehicle, and I, I pull out of this church parking lot to go back to Pennsylvania. You know, like Greg and Dana are still on the line. They're recording the whole thing. And as I pull
pull backward, I realize there is an entire squadron of undercover <laughs> cops behind wow. me. And I'm like, I'm like, this is fucking insane. Like, there's something going on here. Like, this, this whole thing has been so nuts, this entire case. And again, I apologize that I can't get into the nitty gritty of it. It's just, I'm, I'm not the only one on this particular thing. So I'm keeping it vague. Everything I've told you, for the most part, is what's public knowledge. This whole thing has been so vast that we've been working on. And, you know, this just, this just reaffirmed everything, where it just gave me a sense where something is happening and my trip to North Carolina seemed to have triggered something Some, it set something in motion and uh, I don't I don't really know where this is all gonna lead next but there's there's more there's more things to follow up on and there's more things to look into at this point in time yeah so I can I think the listeners know why I live vicariously through you now yes because there's not a chance <laughs> in hell that I would do any of this kind of stuff and and, and I think this is probably the best time Brian if you agree with this uh, to end our uh, our program with the uh, wrap up of the uh, the Carolina investigation because <laughs> I do want to have I do want to have Tyler on again yes. because he really opens up the world he paints a picture beautifully with the with his words and experiences and I really want to have him on uh, he is a, going to be a dear friend of inside the Goblin universe because I think he's one of the few people <laughs> that has actually walked within the Goblin universe and any and and Tyler you get it and and anybody in my book that gets pretty much an entire squadron of, of police department to escort you out of the state is it, it, it reminds me of the blues brothers and illinois going it really was out of a hollywood movie oh it was shocking God. you know what but, but that also lends to a lot more questions and, and i know that you know and when we get you back on i'm definitely going to revisit this it lends to questions why do they want you out of this town and i know a close in the towns i've worked in these towns they only want you oh, out yeah. because you're asking questions you're, you're you're stirring the pot and it's a good thing and a bad thing well you, you know what's bizarre you know what's bizarre is i never even really bugged anyone there were a couple people like i said uh when i left the woods i spoke with some people and it was just at the end when i just asked a few questions like i would i tread very quietly i was fairly quiet that whole trip and um that's what made it all the more interesting that they they got this call in and it it, it makes me really question who exactly called them i mean the most <laughs> obvious person i mean first guess logical guess would be the people i had just questioned that would be the smartest thing to think. But at the same time, what's odd about it is how did they know where I was parked? Yeah. Well, right. on, on top of that, I would say it wasn't the people you had just investigated. <laughs> I'd go back to that black helicopter that flew over your head. We're gonna I have believe to, so. Yeah, we're going to have to save that for later. We've got about a minute left. And unfortunately, we have a minute left, but we're definitely... You're welcome back. You have the keys to inside Goblin Universe. Your room's ready anytime you want. Then you can recharge the batteries. Ron, it's all you at this point. This is yeah, fascinating. I, I had a fantastic time. I, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you again in the very near future. And hopefully by the next time we have you on the show, uh, we would have gotten together and had a, a you know an investigation on our own. But I, I guarantee you I am not sleeping outside any place, nor am I going to run after anything with a knife. So uh, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. But again, Tyler, will you promise to come on out? I, I know that you're going to be a fan favorite, uh, and uh, you, you'll come out and talk to us again here in a, in a short period of time? Oh, absolutely, anytime. And if people <laughs> want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do that? You know, right now, there's still some things in the works. And I apologize for not having a, a good go-to website just as of yet. But if uh, your listeners 
can try and find me on social media. My name's with Tyler Strand. One of my handles on uh, Instagram, it's just, uh, I believe, BlackWolf26. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that, that's, that's mostly, uh, mostly my social media revolves around just things that I post through images through Instagram. It usually just posts right to my Facebook. So, if there's anywhere that your viewers would want to see a good visual list of all the things I'm up to, including the special makeup and effects, as well as these adventures, that's where you'll, you'll want to find Yeah, you're also an amazing artist, my friend, too. I, I have to point out as well. Yeah, oh, you thank know, you so much. Yeah, Brian, but you know what, buddy? That's, that's all the time that we have. That's it. Appreciate all the listeners coming on board with us uh, as we rode the Tyler train uh, inside the Goblin Universe. So until next time, uh, my name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Boat. And have a good night.